On Friday, I had the privilege or pleasure or unfortunate opportunity to be at the Sydney airport, where once again, there were delays. Mine wasn't really delayed very long, but every plane to Melbourne was. It was the busiest and noisiest time that I've ever been at the Sydney airport. I couldn't work out why there was so much noise and celebration and carry on until I realised yesterday. <laughs> it wasn't your team. But the greater, what is it, the greater Western Sydney team supporters were there. And they were already celebrating. They anticipated that after this long, long year of playing hard and playing well, that they were going to be the grand finalists. They were noisy. Well, today, I think they may be drowning their sorrows. The anticipation, expectation, and celebration was short-lived. It reminds me a little bit, it's all right, it's only for a year. Uh, reminds me a lot about the anticipation and expectation, the celebration and joy that we anticipate about the kingdom. We have sung songs and we have celebrated, and this is the last of four in our series, The Upside Down Kingdom. And the king will come. He will return. And not only will he turn it all around, he may just turn us constantly upside down so that we fit in. Who knows what is the right side up? The king will come. And there will be anticipation, there will be joy, and the kingdom in its fullness, righteousness, justice, harmony, health, richness in the king of kings, where there is total, not just diversity, where every tribe and every nation and all peoples and all language groups will be celebrating, but there'll be total inclusion where we as family will worship the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That is our joy and our anticipation, and it won't happen one Saturday in September every year. I don't know the hour nor the time, but I know that our celebrations will not be in vain. However, there is a warning. So where have we come from so far in this four weeks? We've looked at five things that we've discovered about the kingdom of God that we have to remember. Hopefully you can say what they are by now. Firstly, there is a... Are you sure? There is a king. The king rules because he rescued us and he governs. He has a will. And this king has a people. And the people in the Old Testament were... Israel and the people in the New Testament, true church. We get confused a little bit at times, and I need to say this before we go on to the next one, is that we think that the church, the local church, the buildings are what's important. 
the institution, the practices, but no, it's the people, the people. We, the people of God, the church, are his people. And the space we take up in the world is where this king lives. So he's here today because he lives in me and he lives in you and he's here. Take a moment to celebrate that. The creator of the universe, the king of kings, is here. Celebrate the moment. Three things that we're going to look for in the parables today, just three things to teach us about where we're going to go today. And the uh, three things are about the subject. And I don't really like talking about the subject, so to talk about the subject today, I'm going to use a lot of the words of Jesus. Because I'm talking about who's in and who's out. Greater Western Sydney are out. (laughs) We know that. But as far as the kingdom of God is concerned, who's in and who's out? So to look at that, there's three things that we're going to look, about, look at in the parables. And they are, what is taught about God in this kingdom? What is taught about the people of the kingdom? The people who are in the kingdom? And what is taught about the people not in the kingdom? And that's about the best I can do about talking about Who's in and who's out? You've got it? We'll look at the God of the kingdom. We'll look at the people in the kingdom as described by Jesus in his stories. And we'll look at the people described by Jesus who are not in the kingdom as described by him. Is that okay? You ready for the journey? Because today we will be looking at lots of the parables. And I want to go first of all to the parable that Tony introduced us to. Beautiful exposition of the parable wheat and tears. And uh, so here it is in the scriptures again, and we'll read it as from uh, Matthew 13. Matthew 13. The farmers, oh sorry, we started, here's another story Jesus told. You've got it up there? You can read it along as I speak it out. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in the field. But at night, the workers slept. His enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat, then slipped away. When the crop began to grow and produce grain, the weeds also grew. The farmer's workers went to him and said, Sir, the field where you planted the good seed is full of weeds. Where did they come from? An enemy has done this, the farmer exclaimed. Shall we pull out the weeds? They asked. No, he replied. You'll uproot the wheat if you do. Let both grow together until the harvest. Then I will tell the harvesters to sort out the weeds, tie them into bundles and burn them and to put the wheat in the barn. Simple story. Beautiful message by Tony, 
I recommend you listen to it. But here's three things I want you to know. It's hard to tell the difference sometimes. Jolly hard to tell the difference between who's in and who's out. There's some jolly good people in the world who do really good things. And there's some crazy mixed up followers of Jesus who do some crazy mixed up things. May God have grace on us as we seek to follow him. So it's hard to tell the difference. You got that one? Until the end. And it's not our call to say, you're in and you're out. It's not our call. What did the harvesters want to do? Get those weeds. And it's God who said to the harvesters, God does it. He sends the harvesters at the end. But what it does tell us is that there is an end. There is a separation. And there will be a judgment. So let's look at the three things that we're going to look for about parables that will teach us about who's in and who's out. Bearing in mind, it's hard to tell the difference. Sometimes you wonder. It's got nothing to do with us. It's not our call. And it's God who sends his angels to do the harvesting, as explained later in the scriptures. So what is taught taught about God? What is actually said about God, the God of the kingdom, the king of kings? You know, we use that phrase, king of kings, lord of lords. That's a Hebrew idiom that means he's the best, the best of the best God, the best of the best king. No one like him. He's king. He's all-powerful, all-knowing. This is what the king knows about every citizen, and it's called everything. He knows you through and through. Do you know any king in this world that knows their citizens like our God knows his citizens? He knows us, and he loves us, and he accepts us. He's patient, long-suffering, kind, waiting. He's gracious and merciful, generous, full of kindness, full of forgiveness and full of love. He is a judge, but he's waiting. He has gone to a great length to seek and to save everyone who is not in the kingdom, to include them, to bring them in. He's gone there. He's tried to do it. He goes to great length, and he did. And we celebrated that already this morning as we remembered his death at our communion time sent his son. God so loved the world, he gave his son. He didn't come to condemn us. He came to deliver us, to save us, to all who believe in him. He actually entrusts those of us in the kingdom with incredible giftings and stewardship and stuff. He entrusts us. And the interesting thing is about entrusting us with stuff, with gifting, and us here as we sit here in the richest country in the world, as we learned last week. He entrusts us. But do you know what country has the greatest number of believers coming to the Lord right now? 
The fastest growing church in the world today is not Australia. It's not among the rich. It's actually in Iran. Iran. What do you know about that country? And yet that is where disciples are being made. So let's look at our stewardship because what God calls us to be is faithful. He rewards faithfulness and unfaithfulness. It's not a matter of entering the kingdom. It's a matter of once we're in and we're given stuff, giftings and all the other stuff, he says, how well are you doing? How well are you doing with that? Doesn't matter if you've got a lot. Doesn't matter if you've got a little. The question is, how well? That's our God. That's our God. And he judges according to that. So, yep, he's king, he's kind, he's gracious, he's patient, he's waiting. He's waiting. Do you know from the story of Abraham, which some of you know well, there was 2,000 years before Jesus came. And before Abraham, I haven't got a clue how many years. Okay? We are 2,000 years after Abraham. I tell you, if I had been God, I would have got fed up a long time ago with how people behave. You? But our God is gracious, and he's waiting, and he's wanting all peoples to repent. So we've looked at our God. What do we learn about people in the kingdom, as described in the stories of Jesus. If you want to know about the kingdom, just read over and over and over what Jesus said, what Jesus did, and read those stories. Keep it simple. Just look. It's there. But it says they must abandon all to follow the king. Those who were here last week, did you remember that dance and the door? And finally, when everything was abandoned, the dancer could enter the kingdom, abandon all to follow the king. You cannot earn entrance. It's not about merit and trying. The kingdom is received. It is the gift of God. Yes, it's like treasure, as Ben said. It's like the pearl of great price. It brings joy, but you can't buy it. You can't mortgage it. It's given. It must be received. Once we're in the kingdom, we remember that we're in the family, brothers and sisters. We don't do well at family life in the kingdom, do we? We squabble and fight. But we are brothers and sisters, and we're going to live with each other for an awful long time. It's called eternity. Thank God goodness that there will be miracles before that when I will be perfected and made like Jesus and you will find me a little easier to get on with. Same to you. Those of us in the kingdom obey because we've been rescued and because we are loved. And the commandment to obey is we love our God We learn to appreciate and accept who we are without comparing us. We call that loving ourselves, and we learn how to love others. Love, the greatest command. So we obey that, 
And we can't even do that without God's help. Fortunately, he's given us the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God gives us that love to love others. We accept his governance, his rule. We avoid idolatry, especially the needless accumulation of possessions and stuff. Idolatry. We are aware that we don't know how long we will have. We don't know when he's going to come. We don't know when we'll leave this earth. We don't know. We live in that awareness, but we are waiting expectantly with anticipation, just like those great Sydney Western supporters, whatever they're called, were in the Sydney airport celebrating, waiting, anticipating. They were disappointed, but we won't. We wait. We wait. We don't know. We are alert. They bring the, their needs and the needs of their friends and other family members to the king with boldness, and they will never, ever be rejected. Can you imagine going up to the king? This is what I need today, and this is what I'd really like to talk to you about. And excuse me if it sounds a little bit irreverent or anything like that, but this is what I really want to say, and I can do it boldly and confidently, and I can talk to the king, and if I hang around in his presence long enough, because he'll never throw me away, he'll answer me, and he'll talk back to me, and I'll have a conversation. That's what it's like to be in the kingdom. They persist in praying for justice in particular. They also look forward to the kingdom growing and expanding and rejoice with the church in Iran in Nepal, in China. Rejoice and pray for them that they'll be strengthened. And they don't begrudge God's grace when it's on others and others are blessed and it seems as though God missed them out. They know their God and they know his kindness. They celebrate with joy. And they must realize, however, that their disobedience and faithlessness may lead to forfeiting the privileges that are theirs. This is where it gets tough. Their obedience and faithfulness will be indicators that they are in the kingdom. You got that one? So I've got another story here from the Bible, and it's from Matthew, and it's repeated in Luke, important one. What do you think about this? A man had two sons. A man with two sons said to the older boy, son, go and work in the vineyard today. No, I won't go. But later he changed his mind. In the Bible that's called repentance, by the way, changing your mind. And he went anyway. Then the father said to the other son, you go. Yes, sir, I will go. But he didn't. Which of the two obeyed the father? The one who proclaimed it? The one who said it? Or the one who actually did it? They said the first one. The one who repented, changed his mind. And Jesus explained the meaning. I tell you the truth. Now, he was talking here He was talking then to a lot of people who thought they were in the kingdom, okay? And he had them there, and they were the proud and the faithful doers of the rituals. And this is what he said. I tell you, he said, 
corrupt tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you. Help! That's not what we were taught. John the Baptist came and showed you the right way to live. But you didn't believe him. You didn't believe him. But the tax collectors and prostitutes did. And even when you saw this happening, you refused to believe this and repent of your sins. Who's in the kingdom? Those who persevere until the end will ultimately be rewarded with eternal fellowship with the God and with the company of their other believers. So here's another story from the Bible. We're going to have lots of stories from the Bible because that's stronger than me. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, there he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence and he will separate the people as a shepherd, separates sheep and goats. In Australia, we know the difference between sheep and goats. I've lived in countries where I said, how do you know what's a sheep and what's a goat? They look exactly the same, but they told me one thing. Do you know what it was? Goats' tails are up and sheep's tails are down. And that's the only way you can tell the difference in some countries and in the time then. And they were all herded together. You just need to know that. So they're separated. He places the sheep on his right, the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on the right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, you invited me into your name. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will say, huh, Lord, when did we see you hungry or feed you? or thirsty, or give you something to drink, or naked, and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it for one of the least of these, of my brothers and sisters, you were doing it for me. To those on his left, he says, away with you, cursed into the eternal fire prepared for you, the devil and his demons. For I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty, you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger, you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked, you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. Then you will reply, Lord, when did we see you hungry or sick or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison or not help you? And he said, I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth, when you refused to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing me, refusing to help me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. Now I have to say this, this can be misunderstood. 
there is a teaching around today that says we can invest in the kingdom and promote the kingdom and work for the kingdom by feeding the hungry, giving to the poor, seeking justice, making sure the powerless are looked after, and we can do all that social and goodness and all the justice, and we will be right. The parable's not saying that, okay? The parable is actually talking about the people who are in the kingdom who do this so naturally as part of their lifestyle that they haven't got a clue that they're doing it. Did you pick that up? When did it happen, Lord? When you did it to the least. When you invited, when you greeted, when you spoke, when you bought that coffee, when you gave that homeless person some money for a drink. I was in Sydney this week. When you venture out, when you see these things, you don't even notice. It's just so much part of who you are. You don't have to count it up, okay? That's what it's saying. It comes naturally. It comes from faithfulness. It comes because you are righteous and you are extending the kingdom in that way through how you're living. It's not saying if you do all this stuff, you will inherit the kingdom. It says, because you are in the kingdom, this is what you will do. And this is what your life looks like. You got it? Just don't twist it round the other way. So that's what it looks like for people in the kingdom. You got it? You got it. So what does it look like if you're not in God's kingdom? How are those people described? Well, it seems as though Jesus actually taught that it's not enough to say I'm in the kingdom. It's not enough to say, Lord, Lord. It's not enough to say, yes. Remember the story that we've already had? A look at the oldest son, or the first son and the second son. He said to his boy, go into my vineyard. And he said, no. But he changed his mind. Thought about it. The relationship with the father. Yeah, I'll go. And the younger one, yeah, I'll go professed, said he'd do it, and he didn't. It's not enough just to say the words. It's more than that. Then we also look that position of status in organized religions are not substitute for true repentance and deeds of mercy. In my lifetime, I've seen many well-known, prominent um, celebrity pastors, leaders fail. There is grace, there is mercy for the repentant. But we can presume because of status that we're exempt from humility, forgiveness, repentance, love, ordinariness. You got it? So it's not just enough. And so we need to make sure that there's true repentance and deeds of mercy. So listen to this story about people who are not in the kingdom. This is also from Jesus, another story from Luke. Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank God that I'm not like others, cheaters, 
sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like the tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even look up his eye, take, lift up his eyes to heaven. He prayed, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, not this Pharisee, but the sinner returned home justified. Other stories will say, now is the time when those who are not in the kingdom need to repent and come into the kingdom. There's other stories that show that judgment is being delayed, but we don't know when our end is near. Remember the story of the rich farmer who built barns and said, I will eat, drink, and be merry. But that night, he died. There's no sin. There's no state of degradation. Nothing so vile or ugly that God cannot receive any of us into his family, into his kingdom. Anyone who repents, anyone who comes humbly and says, I need you, and believes, is in the kingdom of God. Our excuses are flimsy. Stories of Jesus about people not accepting the invitation because they'd married or bought a field or gone away. Um, just for the person down there, I'm missing out the readings, okay. But the day will come when there's a time too late to repent. And it will be a time of separation. And he says that there's a place prepared for the devil, the demons, and those who are not in the kingdom of God. So who's in, who's out? It's not my judgment, but you need to read the scriptures. No one else but God and his word through the spirit can assure you that you're in the kingdom or convict you that you're not. If you're not, now is the time to repent, to receive the kingdom. The kingdom of God is to be received. And the stories of like a child, just totally dependent, receive the kingdom. Yes, God, I need you. I make a muck of running my own life. I am self-righteous, even if I do good stuff. I need the righteousness of God to make me acceptable for the kingdom. Pure gift, I believe. It's to be received. Through repentance and through belief. We used to have this little saying when I was learning about Christianity way back in Sunday school, ABC, accept that Jesus Christ died for you so that you could live in his kingdom. Accept that you can't do it by yourself. Believe that it's totally possible for you to be accepted into the kingdom of God because you accept him as your Lord and Savior. And it's not just a ticket to heaven, it's an entrance into the kingdom of God for eternity. 
abundance of life, anticipation, expectation, joy, delight. This is what the kingdom of God is. Okay, earth has its ugly moments, even for those in the kingdom, but nothing can rob you of what's inside. The love, joy, peace, the knowing, repentance. A, accept, believe. C, confess with your mouth as you commit yourself to God confess to those around you that yes I need my God the creator to be my saviour my Lord my King commit yourself to Him let me just pray maybe you don't know if you're in the kingdom or not it's not for me or anyone else to tell you whether you are or not. But we warn you in the name of our Lord because of his great love for you that there is going to be a day of judgment and there is going to be this time of separation. For those of you who say you're in the kingdom, let God examine your life today. Are those behaviors that are like the behaviours of Jesus, part of your maturing and growing and living? Is your life changing? For those of you not in the kingdom, whether you've been churched for 50 years or five months, do you know the King? And do you know that He knows you? Accept Him. Believe him, confess. Lord, I pray today that we will be people who belong to you and know that we belong in your kingdom because of who you are and what you've done for us and because we come to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ who loved us, gave himself for us and we give ourselves anew and afresh to him today. May that be so, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.